It's the KV Pod. Let's get it. We're just we're just hanging out. It just kind of makes me yeah. feel a little uh, like demony. It's like minor demon. Minor. Minor. Just like you know, like when you two voices talk in stereo, like in sync. Mm. Yeah, and there's yeah. It's like, like uh, I command you. It would be <laughs> no, yeah, no. It'd be nice to be able to figure out how to turn that off. No, no worries. Would it? Should we try? Like, what if I? You can try. Boop boop boop. Does that? Beep beep pop pop. I mean, kind of, a little bit. Feel free to move your chair. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the room might be a little more reflective to sound. Stand in the corner. Yeah, I'll just do a little stand-up comedy special by myself. I'll in just corner. try to make. Honestly, I would listen. Just facing this way. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Hey, Des Moines, how is it going down here, West Side? Can I get a what what? Whoa. Yeah, that wow, hot, hot crowd, hundred percent audience participation. I love to see it. Um, so right now our audio engineer is kind of, you know, getting things settled here. Um, airplane food, though, right? An evergreen topic. Everyone thinks it's funny. Um, yeah. Anyways, that was that was it. <laughs> that was my start. I was waiting for the punchline. Oh, uh, there is no punchline. Have you oh, have you seen the SpongeBob? Like Sponge the Mr. Cheerio joke. <laughs> have you seen the SpongeBob episode where he tries a? Uh, Stand up, stand up, and he—it's that was literally it. He's like napkins. I mean, they're there on the table, and then where do they go? And it's just like crickets. Terrible. <laughs> Daniel, for some reason, I don't hear you in my ears very well when you talk. I don't hear me in my ears very. There, well when that's I talk. you. Oh my! Maybe gosh. I'm not on the mic enough. There, yes. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Normally, I feel like I feel like. Seriously, like it needs to be closer. Okay. Like that, yeah. Got it. I can I can boost my boost my moost. <laughs> boost your moost. <laughs> Is that legal in the states? <laughs> boost my moose. I think moose boosting I feel was like outlawed. That's a shortening for moustache. I'm gonna boost my moost. Volumize. <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> All of the hair product references. I don't know if it's possible, but maybe if we could turn my mic hotness down a smidge i feel like i can project pretty hardcore he's right he's maxing out that's me no that's not me hello grant is third ah okay that feels a little bit better that does feel yeah. better Good. okay cool i appreciate the pickiness it makes makes yeah. for a better better product oh, we want that polish baby do we all need to do any kind of test do i sound normal to everyone yes. yeah yeah awesome I think we just, just go going. Okay. Daniel tweaks as we go if needed. Yeah. I feel like you could be a tiny bit boosted, but I can just talk louder. I haven't really been using my full voice. Yeah. I feel like once we get talking about something, we'll adjust. Yeah, you don't. I you, will start you, yelling. You don't need yeah. to hold back. Yeah. Wait, I was going to ask Carly. Aren't you a soprano? I'm a soprano Technically? too. Technically. Okay. Correct. So you're a little hybridy. Yeah, you could say you're the Prius of the vocal world. Exactly. Interesting. Like hybrid <laughs> got it i feel like that's one of the topics that i struggled to f like find any definitive information on the internet of like all the different types of sopranos like you just find these youtube videos that are like here's a bunch of people singing and we're just going to label what kind of soprano they are 
but we're not going to really explain how we know that or why they are that. Here's how I know. I can't always hit those high notes, mm-hmm. but I can hit most everything else. So then I'm a soprano too. I think the only thing that identifies a soprano one as a soprano one is like the they highest of the notes. high. <laughs> yep. But also, don't you feel like it's it's like, okay, everyone has certain singing ability and then they just needed to come up with words to help organize people. So it's, it's pretty loose. Because like in like operas and stuff, aren't there like uh, like every variety really? Like half like tenor and, and baritone and well, I've tenor and alto alto. I've never even heard of soprano two like a number and it's like mezzo soprano. Second soprano, yeah. Well, no, I mean just like all these random Italian words that I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I got. So I don't know. Actually, I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. Know what to call mm. it. Well, but anyway, well, I feel like I'm out of it because, and I think it's the coffee. Normally, I'm caffeinated, and so I'm like, yeah, I got social energy, but I just feel like very today but it's okay that's okay yeah shalene and i enjoyed staying at hotel Crant. we are here at hotel Crant. <gasps> yeah welcome welcome thanks for the wi-fi password uh oh i shouldn't say the. Wi- <laughs> i was about to just say the just wi-fi blast password, that out publicly <laughs> you it, listeners can know that it it's really important three important words to us some important numbers all of our listeners are gonna come find your house and get on your wi-fi <laughs> We do have some pretty good range, but maybe not that good of range. So, mm. yeah, you'll have to get in close. Mm. It'll be a tough job. We have big windows. Oh, I need to check into our flight. Oh, it's already time. Yikes. <gasps> do you have the Allegiant app? I do, but I missed know. the notification. Check it's in. okay. It's usually just 24 hours before the flight. It's not like if you don't check in. How do I? It's something bad's going to happen. I don't know how this works, Carly. Manage my trips. Ooh, check in. Now open. Let's do that. Is that it? Mm-hmm. And we then you should sit next to each other for free. Ah, lit. Thank you, Allegiant. How many seats are on this plane? I don't know. It's a small plane. Is this plane. like a big plane? Two, three seat, on each three side. Three on each side, and there's maybe probably twenty rows, twenty-five rows. There's more than that. There's maybe thirty rows. Thirty rows. Yeah. So, okay, so yeah. Do you have your boarding so passes? You're able to see them? No, not. I mean, I accept and check in. So maybe after I do that. Yeah. After you do that, if you, if you properly checked in, you'll be able to view. View board. boarding passes. Yep. Should and be able to add them to your them? Apple Wallet. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. That's Daniel. That's me. I just want mine. Do I send him his? You probably can just have both on yours, and then when you go up to security, yeah, show both. Yep. Okay. Both. And then you'll be able to see your zone and gate number. Yep. Zone two. Perfect. Gate. I don't see a gate. Anyway, it'll be good. Yep. That's not until tomorrow. Complete. That's so satisfying. Oh. Nailed it. I like their little app. Yeah, it's a good one. Yep. Achievement unlocked. Anyway, sorry. Thanks. I just looked at my phone and was like, what? For some reason, when I set the reminder for myself at noon on the 4th of July, I pictured that we'd be outside, like, playing some cornhole or something. So to get a notification that I needed to check in as we're sitting on a couch in the air conditioning wasn't, I wasn't, it was... <laughs> it really threw you off. Unanticipated. And the fact that it's already one in the afternoon. I know. We slept good. It was good. Yep. Day soaring by. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm trying to think of things to talk about, but I'm like drawing a blank, and this is the worst time to draw a blank ever. So I don't even know. 
what to say right now. It's okay. We can we can plan it live. There's so many things we could talk about. Let's hear it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we covered a few things. Throw uh, it out until one sticks. Okay. We can talk about why Daniel is enjoying Taekwondo. Jiu Jitsu. Jiu Jitsu. Son of a gun. I knew I was going to do that. I <laughs> 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 knew I was going to get that wrong. We can Sorry. edit that out, right? Okay, I'll give you no, a no, fresh plate. No, no, no. I'll give you a fresh plate. Ready? Daniel could talk about <laughs> his new love of jujitsu. I thought you were going to do it again. <sighs> you just ruined the plate. <laughs> we don't edit this podcast, man. Well, that's for dang sure. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it'd be an absolute nightmare. This is a slice and diced up cucumber you're trying to restructure into one complete vegetable you'd be surprised <laughs> a lot of music we listen to on our streaming services is a lot of chopped up takes of yeah things being spliced together i mean don't get me wrong stir fry is great but like sometimes you want a whole just a whole complete unit anyways so we, we could talk about that two to two. let's just <laughs> don't even butcher the cow just like have the whole thing just have like, a beautifully cooked cow yeah yeah don't pick the rice no just... like lamb on a spit but it's cow on a spit can you imagine disgusting <laughs> absolutely horrid gigantic spit fire would be so dangerous like a bonfire some parts would be so burnt some parts would be so raw Ugh. nightmare all right what are those other topics grant thank yeah. you um another one would have been D D. Mm-hmm. We could talk about D and D. I mm-hmm. could, I could defend it. You guys could attack it. <laughs> I could just be like, "You're all wrong. You're all fools." Okay. <laughs> um. What else could we discuss? We could try to figure out what we're having for dinner. Oh, oh. a little That's meal planning. That could podcast? be good. We I talk do. about Fourth of July foods and things Watermelon. that people tend to consume. Like the watermelon, like the melon of water, and we could I see don't like, even love oh. watermelon, but it's what pops in my head. It's what mm-hmm. comes in there. We could do some of that. Uh, yeah, sure. I like the idea that we plan out our dinner, and we all maybe maybe we all share a favorite Fourth of July memory, mm. or, or not, mm. or we opt <laughs> out. It's like that. we could just not talk <laughs> for this podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down for that. It's just the going around in circles with memories of holidays. I just, I, oh, I, yeah, I never I'm had sorry. a good time with don't, that. Don't That's mean to do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We could we could all pitch a side or a main dish or a dessert. I. Celine already has a suggestion. <gasps> I do. Oh, you did the other day. I. J- oh, now I feel put on the spot. And I'm yeah, you are. I'm ready. You are on the spot. We're okay. all staring. Okay, I you. just remembered that I really enjoyed the salmon and steak last time, but I don't know. I'm kind of still feeling something along those lines, but like maybe like shrimp and steak. Ooh. That but feels very summery to me. I don't know what we're feeling. I think we could put shrimp on some kebabs so they can be easily yeah, flipped. flippable. Mm-hmm. Brilliant I like idea. that. Surf and turf. Yeah. Surf and turf. That just sounds nice. As long as we make the hot dog happen tonight for Grant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The four-way hot dog. And a couple hot dogs. The lady and the tramp and the tramp and the lady hot dog. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, the cross hot dog. Yeah. So four people can enjoy it at the same moment. Yeah, Uh, that the details of that are for our Patreon listeners. So (laughs) it's not going to be in the main feed. No, no, no. (laughs) You just get a teaser. Oh, no. Exactly. What other foods do people associate with the 4th of July that we should try to make? Definitely watermelon. Yeah, that's a it's a classic. A lot of barbecue. Our family always did like a fish fry. Ooh. That's a classic one, I feel like. Huh. 
Who no. fries in your family? No one else. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> literally, my family doesn't fry anything. What the? Okay. Well, then I guess that's not as American as I thought it was. I would say it is. Do you have any like ancient Catholic roots? Is that what's going oh, on? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, that's okay. probably there where it comes from. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Is Uncle that a David, thing? Catholics fry fish? Daniel, Daniel, Lent, they have fish like all of Lent. Fish fries are such a big deal that like every Friday, yes. most Catholic church, churches have one. And nowadays, this is a little tidbit from Grant's grandparents. They're so popular that you even go to them if you're not part of the church just to get takeout. Yeah. Fried fish from Catholic churches. It's good. My grandpa was part of the Knights of Columbus. Dude, me too. For always. And so he would help with the fish fry. And yeah, it was the thing. Like on Fridays, you'd go down to Farishon Hall and eat the... You really... This is not a part this of... This is good to know. You're talking to a lifelong Protestant here. So I don't, I don't know what to say. No meat Fridays, but fish doesn't count. Not to be Catholic. Other, 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 other meat. Mm-hmm. Got right. it. Yeah. Nice. So, anyway, yes, fish fry. You know, that was not a thing for you guys. Mm. Not at least for that the was of definitely. July. Well, in our church, even our like mm. Mission Hill, where I grew up going to church, they had a fish fry every 4th of July. Huh. Yeah. Lots of fish. Super good. Mm. Mm hmm. We'll some, definitely have fish. My mom doesn't like to fry stuff because it makes the kitchen messy. And so it was just. You do it outside. Thing. I don't know. She just never did it. Maybe, know. you know, you're not doing it at such a large scale at the Floydville establishment. So yeah. it'd be internal. But I totally get it. I feel like also you can get really affordable fish, you know, like it's a buckets of tilapia. Well, and honestly, yeah. with the our church, what normally happened is our pastor loved to fish. So he would go on his like annual fishing trip to wherever and catch a ton of like crappie and whatever that's the move and then that he would just like that would be the meal nice just like all of his crappie and it it was mm -hmm, pretty good anyway we don't at all have to have fish today that's just a fourth of july thing throwing it out there i like it what about you guys Mm, watermelon for sure Mm. honestly the first thing i think of is potato salad and i don't even i don't even like potato salad but that's what i think of when i think of fourth of july it's a thing. We could pick up just a little, I little smoosh. I like potato salad. I used to not at all like potato salad or pasta salad. Whoa, I've grown up because <laughs> I love them both now. Like maybe we should get some little pre-made ones from Fairway when we just go. the smallest size, just so we each get like a couple bites. Or or if we want more, we can. I mean, I'm okay with a couple bites. But I know you would only have Carly would only have like a bite or two. I want to sample it all. Fourth of July sampling. Honestly, if we could create some sort of sampler and like that's our meal, that could be a really fun idea. That Mm -hmm. could be fun. That would be fun. We just like get small port. I don't know. Also the the most cost effective way. Well, but but the meat counter at Fairway also has a lot of Uh. salads, like different salads that we could try and we could get like tiny little portions of a bunch of different things to sample. We could go mega kebab. We could just do like little six inch kebabs, shrimp kebabs. And then like a fruit kebab and then like a veggie kebab and then like kebab all the way home. Yes. Oops, all kebabs. And then <laughs> oops, all kebabs. I like oops, all kebabs. And then instead Sounds of drinks, instead of drinks, we need like smoothies, like fruity drinks. But then we freeze them and take the ice cubes and put that onto a kebab. <laughs> and so you have to drink. You have to kebab your drink. Drink your kebab. Uh we could just go all the way. 
I, I like it. I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> I question the practicality. The yeah. I need a lot of sticks. I think we can at least do protein, veggie, and fruit kebabs. For sure. Could be fun. Could be good. Maybe a cheese kebab. Oh, <gasps> my gosh. Fruit and cheese. We went to a wedding the other day that had like fruit kebabs, but then like a cube of cheese at the end. A combination you forget that is exquisite. I mean, it's classic, but I've never had it. That's what I'm saying. I love that. Yeah. What wedding were you at? Uh, Madeline Mahurin's. Hmm. She married Philip, and I actually... He's Russian. Yeah, I do not recall his last name. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. It was on a Sunday night at 6 p.m. in Kansas City. So we like went to church, had lunch with the fam, and then we're like, okay, bye, guys. And we drove to Kansas City, went to this wedding. We had a place to spend the night, but on the way there, Daniel's like, actually, I think we should just drive home. And I was like, okay. So then we just drove home and got home at like one in the morning. It was wow. great. And we had already asked off Monday. Just because. Nice. So, it was chill. Yeah. So Smart. we just like slept super in and then I stayed in the deck for five and a half hours. That was fun. Ooh. Yeah. And here we are. Yes. Yep. But about this jujitsu. I'm oh curious. Oh my goodness. What yes. do you what do you know about any I'm curious what you know about any martial arts whatsoever. I don't know. Shalene's telling me to put the mic closer to my mouth, but I can hear me fine from here. Can you hear me fine from here? I can hear you fine, but I can hear more your real voice outside of my headphones than I can like I will turn up the headphones. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, I like this line. I think we should hear Daniel talk about jujitsu. Yeah, I, want to hear more. I won't take too much time. But no, this take is something as I'm like much time as you need. About. Okay, I can take a step at this. So, I know of Aikido. Okay, I have heard of this from uh, the Man in the High Castle, a popular uh, book that was later translated into a TV show on Amazon, and it's pretty fun. One of the main protagonists, she learns Aikido, and it's all about like redirection of your opponent's energy. Yes, and I I don't know much about Aikido myself. I that's like all I know about it. Mm-hmm. I've also seen like some like clips of podcasts of people being like, "This is the dumbest thing ever," and then the other people being like, "No, but it actually works in some situations." So I don't I don't know. Aikido is a subset of jujitsu. No, no, it's just another. It's a martial art. Okay, so like judo is another martial art. Well, but judo, I don't know. When I think of judo, I think of like the using leverage and body weight and throwing people kind of i don't know if it's mutually exclusive i just know that aikido is i think exclusively focused on like not hurting someone but just like like you bend their wrist and put their arm over here and they're just like oh my gosh I'm like they try to punch and you like catch it and bend it and they're just like ah it's like fully defense like my friend elliot uh-huh. knows yes. like aikido like grew up doing some aikido oh really yeah i didn't know he knew that so every so often we would kind of mess around and he'd be like yeah here's some pain points i'd be like yeah that does hurt um, <laughs> amazing so that uh, I feel like I, I had a friend growing up who did martial arts. I think they just called it martial arts. It might have been mixed. I don't know. <laughs> and it was a lot That's of like... That's like, I, I play sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a lot of like, you know, learning forms. And he would practice forms in the backyard. And he would wear, you know, like the white uh, robe with the with the belts. Gi. Okay. Gi. The gi. G-I. The G-I. Yeah. Not, not to be like, confused with not, the gastrointestinal tract. Or... The super concentrated buttery material that Ooh, that's G-H-E. G-H-E. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what purified butter? 
clarified butter. Son of a gun. Thank you. It's Indian, that. right? Yes. Oh, I thought it was French. No. Nice. Well, hey, we're all getting educated. <laughs> um, we're just bouncing around. We're just bouncing around. So I know those two. And then, of course, we've all seen The Karate Kid. Good old karate. I got to say the first one, so much better than the new one. No offense to Jaden Smith? Question mark. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like it's like an alternate universe. Yeah, that's like multiverse Karate Kid, and it's like not even the same thing. It's just not, it's just not the yeah, same. Yeah, no, no. No. Original, though, that, another karate I think SpongeBob also with Sandy Cheeks. That's another type of martial arts I've seen. I forgot about that. Um, oh, and then The Matrix. Oh. I know. Do Kung they have Fu. a name for that or is it just. I think it it's looks... Kung Fu. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Well, and then, geez, I'm just really. I'm, I'm, this is a wealth. But... Also, doesn't Jaden Smith learn Kung Fu in China for that movie? It's Karate Kid, but I, he does Kung Fu? Maybe. I haven't seen it in years. I don't know if it was Kung Fu. I just know it was throwing stuff around with Jackie Chan, question mark. Mm-hmm. Yes. Grumpy Jackie Chan. Grumpy Jackie Which he's Chan. not a grumpy actor. Like, I feel like yeah. that's not his type, his acting type. And so he's not the Miyagi type. No, no, no. Bummer. Um, they tried. But Bruce Lee. Sure. I mean, ugh, incredible. Like, uh, infamous. And uh, that movie that tragically, if I'm not mistaken, he passed away before it was finished for the filming was completed um, where he's going through the tower mm. and he's fighting opponents at each level and they all have their, it's like the different bosses almost in a video game. <sighs> Crouching dragon hidden. Oh, am I botching that? Oh, I know nothing about this I'm other than I was trying to look up. No, I was trying to look up your l- reverse De La Clava or whatever. De La Hiva. Yep. That one. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I want some baklava. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look that up, it pulls up a scene from Crouching Dragon. Da 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 da. I don't. Yes. So that's all I know. Yes, and it's really sad because I, I think Bruce Lee wasn't able to finish it. I think he actually died in the midst wow. of the filming, which is super sad. Interesting. But how how old was he when he died? <sighs> this is so fun. Just <laughs> interrogating my my frazzled mind on these. In- details i don't i think like 50s it was it was very young it was too young yeah fit yeah it's pretty young game of death game of death oh there's another one definitely called like crouching dragon there is one that might not be the one though where he passed away so it it was wow that's called the game of death the game of death and then he died isn't (laughs) (laughs) bit on the nose Game of Death is an incomplete Hong Kong martial arts film filmed between August and October of 72. Because the main character died. Starring Bruce Lee. Lee died during the making of the film. So it's incomplete. I was going to ask what they do. Did they scrap it all together? Did they CGI a guy in in the 70s? Like, how'd that work? Right. Is there footage from them from any of it? Or is it just like there was this movie and it never happened? I'm now doubting everything. So... (laughs) Let's let's click into the Wikipedia. I, I have definitely seen a Bruce Lee film where he is fighting people in a tower. I have absolutely no idea yeah. if this is that movie or Crouching Dragon, Hidden Tiger. Also, wouldn't it be Hidden Dragon, Crouching Tiger? Tiger's got to be crouching. The dragon can't crouch. That thing is... But you think I mean, it's hidden? If it's that big, it's going to be hidden? It's hidden. It's, it's, it's found a good sanctuary. It has a good horde. It's... A horde? Yeah. Right. Dragon's always got to have a horde. What Dragon does, 101. What does that mean? It's the stuff. It's the things that they're collecting. Oh. 
So they're booty. Yeah, yeah. they're juicy. Yeah, the booty. What? Got it. There's a game of death too. Mm. Mm. When the, the first fact one check, the complete. fact checker. Enter the dragon, fist <gasps> of fury. Enter the dragon. I remember that being part of a series. Way of the dragon. Yes. Fist of fury. Okay. Fists. Is that Albus? Yeah. yeah. He's running out. Big boss. He will eventually stop when he realizes he's trapped. He'll and get then some he'll self-soothing go going on. Yeah. Self-soothing. Also, as we're sitting here, actually podcasting and recording this, I'm taken back to the time that we recorded our whole objective personality conversation in our living room. Mm-hmm. And then the time before that, where we, we recorded talk- that. Yeah. Oh, it's I on my it. phone. Nice. And then, um, the time before that, when we were sitting in the bubble tea place in Columbia talking mm-hmm. about Grant's TA for statistics during his mm-hmm. master's and we recorded that. I think that's also on my phone. That's so funny. What I were we talking that. about? Your experience as a TA oh. and then teaching Carly and Daniel were talking about teaching and you were go- getting oh, in on nice. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was your, one of your first experiences, like being able to connect. Ooh, he's trying to break out. He's transforming into his secondary form, but don't worry. He's not strong enough to break through the door. That was actually terrifying. I've never heard a cat do that. Yeah. He's wow. strong. No, he can, s- he can super sane up to like five feet tall, but again, he's just not that strong. It's all volume. No, it's all fluff. I do not see any crouching animal movies. Are you... There's what? Let me this just find the word. Get on YouTube and I look love, up Reverse De La Hiva. I love how the four of us are just watching a man sitting on the floor diligently googling things googling things working on the audio and we're all like do it there's do always it better there's always the background googling guys on podcasts yeah. there really are okay if you look at reverse de la Hiva, you just see a bunch of how-to videos on how to do reverse de la Hiva. so it must have been one of the other moves oh oh kiss, kiss of, of the, the dragon. dragon yes look that up okay why speaking of grant you gotta let daniel show you this jujitsu move oh it's really fun. Sounds kind of spicy. Uh, turns out that's also a movie, Kiss of the Dragon. Oh, so it's Kiss of the Dragon. Okay, okay it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. 2000 mm. film. Is it Bruce Lee? I'm looking. I doubt it if Bruce Lee died in... 90 or 70-something. Yeah. Definitely not Bruce Lee, Daniel. Let's see. Well, that's what I'm... That Yeah, it was an incredulous question of like... Yeah, no, you, you got me with that. We didn't get Daniel, so... Oh, just so that we're on the same page here. A multinational venture. The film was made on a budget of $17 million. <laughs> it became a surprise international success, grossing $213.5 million worldwide. It grossed $128 million in the United States, becoming the highest grossing foreign language film produced overseas in American history. Hmm. The film was the first foreign language film to break the $100 million mark in the United States. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So I think that was just a totally separate film, and I just sort of mind melded. Might have been one of those things too, where you're watching a movie and your mom says a movie fact about it, and you just take it as gospel. And then oh, yeah. years later, you're on a podcast, and then the internet exists, and then someone facts checks you, and it turns out you're wrong. Those are fun. Yeah, that happens to me a lot. Yes. Happens to you a lot. Yeah. So to circle things back, so far those are the bits of. Martial arts. Interestingly enough, no. Oh, oh, last one. Last one. Um, MMA. Yes. I have heard about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yes. That's what Daniel does. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is a different thing from traditional jiu-jitsu. Yeah. 
So this is the extent. This and is this is the yeah. This is the knowledge I have. What about let's get some other folks in here? I was gonna say I didn't mean to direct that just at Grant, but I don't know. Just no, rude. I went off. I went off because I had stuff there. I'm happy you went off because I know nothing. I was gonna ask, like, was martial arts remotely in your world? Not growing even up? remotely in my world. My father was the athlete of the family, mm. and he played soccer. His big thing, though, was wrestling. So the only thing that's even in remote connection to this is high school and collegiate wrestling. Not, mm. as he would call it, the fake wrestling world. Um, you know, but WWE. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, SummerSlam. Traditional wrestling. He wrestled in college, and so there were moments of my childhood where moves were being shown to me, um, usually cool. with me as the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even as recently as a couple days ago at his birthday, we had to That's watch awesome. a. This is just a short aside. Um, for some reason, in my family, when it's your birthday, you are allowed to subject everyone to watching the most random movie that is totally catered to your own interests, and everyone has to say yes because oh, it's your birthday. Makes sense. He had us watch a 1970s film called Takedown, which (laughs) is only in existence on YouTube where someone has filmed their screen. It never went to DVD or streaming, and it only grossed a million dollars at the box office back in the 70s. Um, But it is a classic sports story in every single... It hits every beat you expect it to, but it's high school wrestling. And That's afterwards, amazing. he did have to show us the proper way of doing many of the moves that were demonstrated on screen. What's that Kevin James? Here comes the boom. Yeah. Isn't that wrestling? Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, isn't that... I want to say boxing. There's definitely I don't got, know. There's definitely got to be punching. In there. If there's a boom, I feel like wrestling would be a weird choice for I boom. agree. And I, I know that so many people listening to this are going to be like, you don't know. I've only seen it once, people. Okay. I think wrestling and... MMA. Oh, yeah, of, that's boxing for MMA. sure. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like wrestling and different forms of martial arts definitely share uh, some lineage, some DNA, because there are definitely elements of at least Aikido that oh. are very grapple-focused. Yeah. No. So he has a... Yeah, Scott Voss, Kevin James, is now a 42-year-old apathetic biology teacher Rough. who was once a collegiate wrestler. He's in a failing high school. When Cutback threatens the school's music program and its teacher, Scott springs into action. He dusts off his long, unused wrestling skills and earns money for the program by moonlighting as a mixed martial arts fighter. MMA. Yeah, but wrestling's there. Okay, sure. <laughs> I just wrestling I feel is slightly validated, okay? So that's my one exposure that's not even really related, but that's it. That's all I know. You didn't have that, that like one wild kid that like kind of had like some anger stuff they needed to work through and so they got put in martial arts and then like everyone knew about my it. childhood was full of musical theater and that's about it so you avoided those kind of guys like the plague okay interesting who do you have in your life grant <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know i thought that was kind of a stereotype but i feel like you know you're in you're in middle school and one kid that was just kind of like mean sort of gets interested and in, in, in connected interested. to martial arts, maybe voluntold as a, as a healthy outlet. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's true. I think uh, it's kind of interesting. A lot of guys that I listen to that talk about jujitsu and martial arts actually say that like, it's one of the best things to 
help with anger and help with people being crazy because a, you get it out of your system. B, you walk in and you're actually not that good at anything and you get humbled. And so it's like, you kind of learn some lessons, which is also really good for you and stuff like that. So from other people's testimony, apparently it works. It's probably good for you. So yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert and I haven't like learned all of the history and all the different types of martial arts. So I'm no, I'm no professional, but from what I've learned so far, um, there's martial arts where you strike, you kick and punch people. Um, and then there's grappling where you basically fight someone and you don't kick and punch. And so Brazilian jujitsu is basically the shortest way to describe it is fighting someone, but no kicking and punching. So then your only resorts are breaking, uh, joints. So arm locks, shoulder locks, leg and ankle stuff, or choking them. And so it's like, basically, how do I get someone on the ground and then immobilize them so that I can finish them? So I can, so I can essentially kill them. So but yeah, when you're a- practicing, you don't actually kill them. You get to a point and they're like, oh, that hurts. And they tap and then you let go and then it's all over. That's a great question. So when it was originally developed, was the mentality truly like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm in Brazil and I'm feeling <laughs> like getting frisky here and I need to defend myself, but... Or is it a military thing? Because the way you're describing it, it sounds like, yeah, is this a military doctrine of this is how we teach professional soldiers to kill people? Kind of. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu came from Japanese jiu-jitsu. So Japanese jiu-jitsu is the OG jiu-jitsu. Military, we train you how to kill people. And so it the, has striking. Mm. So it's like hit you, get you on the ground, break, break something, and move on to the next guy. So... From what I've read online, Japanese jiu-jitsu was, like, very applicable in an actual battle, um, dating back to, like, feudal Japan and all of that stuff. But nowadays, there are some gyms that do it, but you can't do it as a sport because to actually do the Japanese jiu-jitsu would, like, really, really hurt people. And then even practicing it, like, you're limited in how much you can actually do the actual moves because people would get hurt and stuff like that. So we randomly have like a friend of a friend mm-hmm. who we guess does Japanese jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they were like, yeah, cause we were talking to our friend. She's like, yeah, my sister's a yellow belt. And I'm like a yellow. And she's like Ju- in jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I do Brazilian jujitsu and there's no yellow belt. I promise you. And so the best we could figure out from the internet and like a secondhand conversation was that that was Japanese jujitsu. And Uh it sounded like she was like throwing people and flipping people over her shoulder and stuff like that. And striking. And striking. So Brazilian jujitsu kind of developed out of Japanese jujitsu. I don't know how much of it was like, hey, let's make this more into a sport where we can practice this and like do it kind of ongoing and not kill people along the way. Mm -hmm. um, As opposed to just a different fighting philosophy. I don't know. But like, if you're actually trying to fight someone, you would not superimpose like rules of like, this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm not going to do it. Like, that's ridiculous. Sure. The goal is to win. That's the whole point of the fight. Like that's the only goal. So if I remember correctly, it's just, how do we modify this to make it more of a, we could maybe turn this into a sport of something we could do kind of recreationally, but also has some validity as like an actual fighting style. And so then there's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that migrated to the U.S. in, like, the 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhere around there, and has since, like, exploded. Mm. So it's a big thing now. Listeners, uh, pardon our 
There's a cat friend. in the background. Yeah. yeah, Albus is safe and sound, but he was getting a little bit too comfortable with some of the cords. So uh, he is having a stay. He was voluntold to hang out somewhere. <laughs> He's trapped in the bedroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I yeah. want to know, Daniel, about two moments. I want to know about one moment where you felt very humbled, as you mentioned, mm. in the jujitsu gym. Good question. But one moment that you felt euphoric from maybe a win. That you felt like a badass. You're a beast. Yes. Sorry. Great questions. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the cool things about jujitsu is how it really does tap into character development. Like, because it is you by yourself against another person. And when you're new, like they are way better than you. And so you can't blame your teammates. You really can't blame any. It's just like you and a challenge. And so it's just a very concentrated experience. Individualistic journey. Yes, very much so. It's very much like a hero's journey kind of thing. And it taps into, do I have determination? Do I have perseverance? Can I deal with losing repeatedly and, and all of that? So yes, it does tap into character development. So asking about being humbled is a very appropriate question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also dealing with frustration too, because when I was like two or three weeks into doing it, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to try to roll with people and like, just try my hand at this. And I was just like getting beat and then getting beat and then getting beat and then getting beat. And then you get tired. And then it's like, I can't even put up a fight and I'm getting beat and I'm getting beat. And it's like, I don't even like have the energy tonight to like even, uh, fight against this because I wasn't really physically active before. So then I was like, two weeks in and I'm trying, my body's tired. I'm not adjusted yet. And so that's extremely frustrating because it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose and not even know why you're losing. He would come, not home, even know what to work on. He would come home from class and be like in the kitchen, like making late dinner, like putting pots and pans like loudly and like shutting <laughs> cabinet doors loudly. And I'd be like, how you doing? He's like, I just, I didn't do well tonight and I don't even know why. And like, that's even worse. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. What really helped with that is the cat. I could, I could locate the cat downstairs. Laundry yeah. room. Go okay. for it. I'm yeah. gonna take a brief. Go for uh, it. Uh, what's it called? What's Hiatus? It called? No, but I uh, break like a pilgrimage. Uh, Recess. Sabbatical. I'm gonna take a brief sabbatical. That was Hi. the next word I was going with. Jeez, that was not worth the effort to get there. <laughs> but okay, humbled, triumphant. Oh, okay. So hold on. Okay, so then. So there's a lot of that. Um, the biggest thing I think that was like kind of humbling that I've had to work on is um, kind of related to it is dealing with panic. So when you're doing jujitsu, you're wearing a gi, which is basically a really thick robe that you're allowed to grab onto and use to try to control your opponent. So if you're doing jujitsu in the gi, Half of the techniques you're learning are collar chokes, how to grab their collar and choke them with their collar, how to how to grab their ankle and peel them off. And like so like the gi is part of the um, strategy, part of the strategy. And then there's these other aspects where you can like grab your opponent's gi and wrap it around their arm to trap their arm and all of these things. So there have been a handful of times where someone will be like, so I'll be like on my back. Someone is like sitting on my stomach. So this is called mount, is that position, when they're sitting on their stomach on you. And then they're grabbing my gi and like wrapping me in it. 
And then another thing you can do from mount if you're on top is kind of scoot up, like up. Now you're sitting on their chest and there, and now my arms are up above my head. So if you can imagine being in this position of you're laying on your back, someone is sitting on your chest, your arms are above your head and they're trapped there. And now they're leaning down over you and smothering you and you can't get out. Terrifying. A terrifying thing to, yeah. And especially, especially when it's like, if this was like a cordial thing of like, haha, I'm just like sitting on you and I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. But when you're trying to get out, you're try you're actively trying to escape. You do wonder, does your body recognize, even if your mind recognizes this is training, your body panics. No, I'm sure. and, and that's where I'm going with this is of like your body starts to panic. And so I would hit these moments where it's just like, I can't get out. I'm trying to get out and I, ah, I don't know what to do exactly. And I would like have to pause for a second and in my head, I'd have to be like, get a hold of yourself. Do you need to tap? So like if you give up, you tap. It's like I lose. Do you need to tap or do you need to figure this out and like do something about it? And so in that situation where they're sitting on your chest and they're just like kind of half smothering you, in a real jujitsu match, you don't necessarily tap to that because you're not being physically harmed, right? I'm not being choked my elbow's not being bent backwards, right? I'm not, there's nothing that's like killing me. So, you know, quote unquote. Can you breathe? I can half breathe. Oh. So that's the thing. It's uncomfortable, but like I can like, if I would slow down and get a hold of myself and like figure out what I need to move and work through, then like I could breathe. Important question. So, Clarifying yeah. question. Is someone observing these matches to tap out on someone's behalf if mm. they're getting frustrated and just refusing to quit even though they should? They'll pass out in that situation. <laughs> okay. So that's a funny question. Um, yes, most, actually, no. And that sounds like a super dangerous, scary thing that no one will tap on your behalf, but it's really not a problem normally. Um, the only time that I've heard that that's really a problem is in a competition where someone really doesn't want to give up. And so, like, ankles can get broken and some arms can get broken. Mm. Um, cause someone's just like, I'm not tapping. And then it's like, well, all right. But for those, there is a ref, but the, the ref still doesn't the ref tap. Does, the ref never taps for you. And so yeah. by participating in this sport, you are, I mean, it's your own fault for You're not taking tapping. responsibility for your own safety. And yeah. I wonder also just the, just the guts that it takes to tap out when you need to. That right. would be difficult. And so another lesson that you learn as a young belt, and I've watched a lot of YouTube about this, a lot of people talk about this for white belts, is that your stereotypical white belt um, does a lot of flailing. They do a lot of like um, just scrambling around and like they're just moving all over and they waste a lot of energy and they're slow to tap. They, they have something to prove of like, like their arms like maybe like peel behind their back and it's like, you're not going to get out of this position. And it's only a matter of time before the other guy gets you in the just the right position to make you like really need to tap. And so like there's this gray area of like I could keep struggling and flailing for another minute and then get tapped or I could just tap now and save myself some time and energy mm -hmm. for the next roll. And so that's also a lesson you learn of like you you start to recognize, oh, this is kind of an irreconcilable position. And so I'm just going to tap because I've already lost. And like, as opposed to just like being stubborn and squirming and holding on, it's like, okay, well then you get tapped 60 seconds later. It's like, did you really mm -hmm. prove anything? Did you really, did you even learn anything from that? Or did you just waste a bunch of energy? It's kind of like a, a skilled chess 
you know, grandmaster saying like, oh, six moves out, I lose. And there's no way I can get out of this. Mm-hmm. So I should just forfeit now. Yeah. You, you beat me. The way Joe Rogan describes it, he says it's, um, it's, I don't He says it's like human chess with dire physical consequences, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting way of saying it. And I, I think chess is a really appropriate analogy because chess is basically infinitely complex in the positions and the games that can happen, which is why I think it's such an interesting game and it's lasted as long as it has is because you can't have like done everything like with tic-tac-toe that game is so simple. Like you can, you can play that game for 30 minutes and you've seen every tic-tac-toe game that can like physically exist in chess. It's just like, it's just much more complex. Well, with jujitsu, if you just imagine if you're wrestling someone, how many possible positions or config configurations could two bodies end up in? bazillions and so but the point of being a jiu-jitsu master is learning of like oh like they're sitting on my stomach what do i do in this situation i'm sitting on their stomach oh i'm on my back and my legs are wrapped around their waist or oh i'm laying on their chest and they're laying on their back or like you know like all of the different configurations you can possibly think of it has a name and there has been someone who has studied that position and figured out this is the optimal thing to do in this situation and so from every, like, any configuration of two bodies you can think of, there are then, like, well, here's 10 things you could do and 10 different places you, the net, you could get to a new position. And so it's just, like, infinitely complex. It's chess with a 1,000 pieces. And so it's a cool kind of world to enter into of, like, whoa, there's so many things to learn. And, like, oh, I've never been in this situation. Like, what do I do here? And so it's just, like every class you go to, you're either learning a new position and like getting introduced to that, or you're working on a position and like perfecting the movements and figuring out what to do and and things like that. So it's fascinating and it's super enjoyable. It's super fun. And it's, it's like, it's interestingly ironic how in a sport where we are simulating killing each other, trying to kill each other, how mutually uh, like, positive and beneficial it is of like it's like we're trying to get each other and then after the tap it was like good job like that whole thing was actually about us trying to help each other mm-hmm. and us work together in a way and so it's it, it's a really cool environment to be in the camaraderie mm-hmm. yes hmm. so anyway cool. so that was humbling do you have a triumphant story um i am <laughs> still working on that so there's Thanks ba- for being honest. There's basically three phases to rolling. So we don't call it sparring. It's called rolling. So the first major like phase of, of a roll is passing guard. So your guard is your arms and your legs of like those. Are, that's the part of your body you keep someone away with, right? If you're laying on your back, you keep them away with your legs and your arms. So that's your guard. Well, if you're the guy attacking, you have to get past that, right? If you're gonna, if you're going to choke someone or break their arm, you need to get to their chest or to their head, and in such a way that their arms and legs can't push away. So passing guard. So it takes months to even get good at that. Of like, well, I have to just get past this person's legs. Like I can't even begin to think about choking them because I can't get to their neck, you know. And mm-hmm. so for two months, like that's all I cared about. It was like, I just want to get past their legs. I just want to get past their legs. I just want to get past their legs. And then there's a bazillion ways to do that. Um, okay, then you get past their legs. Well, then you have to then hold them down 
and maintain control because then if they just squirm, if you pass their guard, but then they squirm out, well, it's you're like, back to step one. You're back to step one. You got to pass their guard. So you have to maintain a dominant position. So mount sitting on their chest or laying on their chest or, you know, and there's like, there's a position called north south where you're like laying on their chest, but your heads are like toward each other and, or getting on their back and holding, being like their backpack and holding their back, being able to get to a dominant position and then being able to hold it. So when they are actively trying to get away from you, you can hold them down. So that's like phase two. Mm-hmm. And then phase three is like, okay, now we can start talking about this is how you manipulate their arm. This is how you get your arms around their head and their neck to actually choke them. Um, which is way harder than you think. You'd think like, oh, if you get your arms around someone and start choking them, like they're going to die. But like, actually, if they're resisting, there are so many like fine, detailed mechanics of your, like, you, like you can like have someone's neck and be like squeezing it as hard as you can and it won't choke them. But like, oh, you need to turn your wrist this way. Or you need to turn your arm this way. And then suddenly it gets tight and they tap alternatively, Daniel taught me how to choke. And I mean, he like gave himself to me. He's like, yeah, so you just do this. And he like gave me his head and threaded it through my arm. And then, and he's like, okay, well, I wasn't like expecting the tap. So I just started squeezing. And then he's like going tap, 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 tap. And I was like, oh, and he like, I like go. And he goes, yeah, you got it. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He like, I did not expect that to work. And he's like, yeah, I just gave you my head. Like, come on. Anyway, I felt really bad, but also very like... (laughs) empowered yeah kind of yeah so the so that was fun the paradigm here is like there's three phases and you kind of work on i mean you're working on all of those phases at the same time but when you're rolling with someone you're not really implementing them early on it's like i gotta pass your guard now i gotta maintain a dominant position now i can start thinking about submitting people and so i'm only like five months into this and with other white belts at my gym, I'm at a position now where it's like I can start thinking about submitting people, and I've done it a few times. But like, so then, honestly, like a victory is like when I'm rolling with a blue belt mm-hmm. who is five years ahead of me. If I can like, they're on top of me, and I can flip them off of me and get on top myself, like that's a victory in of itself. Like I'll go home and be like, Shalene, yeah. like I swept so-and-so at my gym because like they're a blue belt for crying out loud. And like, I got them off of me. So like even moments like that can count and should count as like euphoric wins in the journey of jujitsu. I love that. It feels like one of those things where there's plenty of opportunities to have little wins. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 He, I'm obsessed. There's a competition in August and one of the guys at his gym like was like, oh, I suggest that you like practice for at least a year before you do any competition. So Daniel's like, okay, okay. But he keeps bringing it up. So where are you sitting right now? I would like to do it. Yeah. So like there's a competition in Kansas City in August. And by then I'll be like six or seven months into this. And so the question is like, is it worth me even showing up? Like, am I just going to go and get stomped? And then it's like, okay, I just wasted $75. Or will I have a fighting chance and like actually get something out of it? And well, I don't know. I, don't know. I think when runners are have a something to prepare for, like a race, half marathon, whatever, it's super motivating. So if you felt like it was going to be a goal that you could work towards, what's the harm in doing it? That, but also if you know there's any sort of performance pressure stuff that might impact yeah. you, then doing it even with the goal of like, hey, I'm just here to experience it, mm-hmm. even if you do get stomped. Yeah. 
it would be good to be like, this is how it works. This is what they say before the match kicks off. You know, that that would be a useful experience because I, I think I think so for a lot of people, just going through the motions and feeling comfortable in those situations will help you actually perform your best when you have the capability. Right. Um, yeah, and that's the latest advice I got from the gym, the guy who runs the gym. Um, and he said, he's like, I competed when I was five months in. And he said, he also said, I've never regretted a competition I did. Like, yeah. even if you lose, like, I never regretted going, learn something from. It's a cool story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and we had decided that we were going to go regardless to support your gym. Our gym's gym going mates. kind of as a team. Yeah. Oh, love yeah. that. So, bare minimum, I'm going to watch. Yeah. Um, but but part of it, in there. part of it too, though, was that, okay, it, the competition is in August. He's gone like the whole month of June. June? July. Okay. Definitely what I meant, July. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, like, prep time-wise, there isn't a ton because we're in Tucson for a couple of weeks, which you are going to go to a gym down there. Yeah. And then we're home a week, and then you're at a chem conference, mm-hmm. and then you're home and school starts. So, I mean, I don't think that that discouraged, but that came up as part of the consideration. was yeah. like, well, it's also in August, and I don't have a ton of prep time. Yeah. I, I don't think you can go wrong. Yeah. If you go just to That's support. basically what my trainer said. Yeah. It'll, I I'm think it'll be a good it. experience. Yeah. It'll be fun. So I, I have a question that's been burning in my head. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's been a little warm, kind of wiggling its way through as we've been talking about this. I can't help but notice, you know, it sounds like it's a great community in the gym. It seems like a healthy environment filled with mutual respect. Yes. Kind of people encouraging each other. Mm-hmm. A clear focus on safety. For sure. As much as these things can lead to broken arms, broken, whatever, actual choking someone out. Yes. You're not going to do that. Right. Because you're responsible and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But one cannot help but think about the dark side of teaching (laughs) uh, individuals such skills and techniques. Yes. How do you reconcile that you're kind of in this sport, but I have absolutely no doubt that individuals have utilized techniques such as this to do harm to others, you know, in an ill like in a, in a bad way, I guess. Sure. Is there any like history of that? Or is there any, is that, uh, that must be a thing that the sport itself tries to reconcile with just like professional sharpshooters and yeah. gun violence. I mean, yeah. So I think, so that's a reasonable question. And that makes sense of like, if you're training people how to fight, how do you then deal with the possibility that they're going to go out and just harm people? Um, and I, the best I can say to that is that the people who have experience fighting have to learn humility and discipline to survive in that sport because you have to start out as a loser and then you have to keep going as a loser and you slowly become a winner. But you have, you have to be humbled to even survive in that. Um, and you have to learn respect. You have to learn how to get along with your teammates because the way it works, um, we do the class and then after the class, it, it's like free time where you roll with whoever. And so it's like, Hey, Hey, you want to roll real quick? And then we roll and then it's like, Hey, good job. And then you go to the next person. You have to voluntarily roll with people. If you're a jerk, no one wants to roll with you. And, and the trainers at our gym repeatedly articulate, no one owes you a roll. If someone wants to roll with you and you say no, the answer is no, and you move on. And and we and we like openly talk about how 
if no one wants to, if you're a jerk and you are putting people in danger, they have the right to say, Hey, I feel unsafe with what you're doing. Can you stop? And if you don't stop, then they don't have to roll with you. So maybe what you're saying is that just by practicing jujitsu in this environment, it's discouraging people from using it irresponsibly. Yes. Because so much respect is kind of handed to the, to the techniques and the traditions and, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's not, yeah. And it's, it's not like it, I think historically it's a quasi religious kind of like respect and honor and like this process and da, da, da. But even for like the American atheist who is like the farthest thing from any kind of dogmatic respect, it's like, it's for lack of a better, it's slapping you across the face of like, no, you're going to straighten up or you're not in like, and, and like our gym has kicked people out. Um, I say our gym, like the owner has kicked people out in the past for people like being rude, showing up, hurting people, things like that. And it's like, you're out of here. Sorry. Bye. So like even outside of kind of like the, like, yes, we respect the traditions and whatever, like there's a little bit of that, but even without that, it still works. Sure. Because there are people in there that are way bigger than you, way better than you, way stronger than you. And they will keep you in line in a very physical way. And so Anyone who is anyone who has longevity in that those sports, I think, has learned the social aspect of we're not out here to hurt people. We're here to to get along and to get better and 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 to do that sort of thing. So I don't know. And the people, the people, and if you go like, who are the people out hurting people, committing crimes and things like that? Not. I mean, I don't know of anyone. It's no one who's in the martial arts world. It's all the punks who have terrible home lives or bad communities or that, you know, I don't know. I said punks. <laughs> Maybe don't have an outlet. Don't like have outlets. Yeah. Maybe find themselves in really um, hard economic situations, like all of that stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, that's these are the kind of people I'm imagining you're maybe sure positing yeah. of like going out and hurting people. I can't speculate as to who I guess the the breakdown, you know, of, of individuals who are completing crimes involving physical violence. Sure. But sure. I can say I, I think we would have heard about it if eighty percent were Brazilian jiu jitsu moves. Right. So Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's probably easier, cheaper ways of doing it mm-hmm. than than let me spend ten years to learn how to do this before I go and rob somebody for twenty bucks. Right, cheaper ways. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting because I think it's almost implicit in it. it is is sort of like mindset thing because I think with a lot of martial arts and maybe this is the westernized version of an Eastern practice, we're adding this very e- much so extra spirituality that that may or may not have been present originally, you know, but um. I feel like in a lot of martial arts traditions, at least how we see it portrayed, there is an element of a mindset, a, a philosophy, uh, and maybe that just sort of comes from doing it, you know. I think so. This is something I think about a lot, especially with the belt system, because in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there is no universal rubric that defines what each belt is and what it means and what you have to be able to do in order to get to a new belt. It's, it's completely based on who is the black belt that you are studying under and what do they say? I actually love that. There's something like really appealing about that to me because I don't know, coming from a teacher perspective, Mm -hmm. like without a very strict regimented rubric, 
there's more room for the learner to think to themselves and be reflective and say, do I deserve the next rung? Right. Have I, in my own mind, like gotten to the point where I feel like I can progress? And I think that's, that's better. Yeah. And there's tons of, con- there's touch, tons of situations where a white belt will come in and they'll be like, yeah, I can like submit blue belts and purple belts and like I win and da, 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 da. But then the black belt will be like, yeah, but you only have one thing in your tool bag. You can't do this position. You're very weak in this situation. You just have one little thing that works for you occasionally, but you really are not a well-rounded person. I do not grant you your blue belt. Like that is a classic story of people like getting mad and then and then the thing is they get mad so they go to a different gym you know i'm done with that black belt i'll go somewhere else and then someone will you know some gyms will just like well if you're here for two years we'll give you a blue belt kind of thing Mm -hmm. so yeah that's exactly how it plays out sometimes yeah it's kind of old school uh like apprenticeship type thing it makes me think of discipleship Mm. It kind of is like that. Like if you hit a rub with somebody who's like trying to speak into your life and you're like, well, forget you. I'll just find somebody else. And then. Yeah. Yeah. But I also wonder. So it's kind of a weird thing because it's like, okay, well, then what does it mean to be a blue belt, which is the second belt? Like, you know, and then it's it's this very gray kind of nebulous conversation of like, well, you should be well-rounded and like the basics. You should know all the basic, many basic positions and like at least have an idea of what you're doing in all these basic positions, even though you, maybe you haven't perfected them, but then like, no, no, no. And then like, you could also ask like, does it matter? Like you can do ju- some jujitsu. If I put a blue belt on you, a purple belt on you or a brown belt on you, does that really change how well you perform? Arguably no, but then like, so what's the point? So you can go back and forth into like, it's deeply meaningful or it's literally just a label. Um, and I think part of the conflict I suspect part of the conflict is because in our Western culture, not only Western, but our secular American culture right now, I suspect we have completely removed any religious or philosophical aspects that was built into that system originally in Japan and maybe even in Brazil. And so now we have kind of the the artifacts of something that I suspect was quasi-religious and then, but we've taken the original meaning out of it. And so we're left with like, well, what, I don't know, like, I don't know. It's just a bunch of belts with different colors. So I don't know. And you're really good. So we'll black and you know, whatever. I, I wonder if that has happened. Cause that's, I don't know. I feel like that's just classic secular American culture is, is we, we're very materialistic. Um, and are broadly, we don't subscribe to overarching meta narratives per se or and religious we love ideas. we love a ladder to climb that has very clear exactly steps we yeah. love a colored belt i mean all of the notorious cults in history tend to have different things like that with mm-hmm. sashes sashes belts and, yeah. whatever they are yeah i mean and also from a pure just hey i'm a sham but i want to make money you know you got to have a good dopamine hit to keep people interested yep so if you just are focused on the ROI of this thing, it's like, yeah, every year you're going to get a new color belt yeah. and you can flex on people with that and that'll be cool and you can talk to your friends and yeah. I'm not saying that's what's happening. But it, it kind of feels like, you know, uh, it is what you make it to be. Mm-hmm. It could be incredibly meaningful. It could be this joyous celebration when you get it or it could be super cheap. It just comes with so many years of training. But I think that's one thing that's really cool about it. 
the person that you're training under is sort of crafting this unique experience mm -hmm. and you and them sort of collaboratively get to decide what that means to you. Yes. And it ultimately is up to them. Like they're sure. not asking you like, so what do you think about how good you are? It's like you kind of ask them like, Hey, where do you think I am? And then they give you feedback. But, but yes, um, I think ultimately it is the best way to do it. I don't know. You kind of touched on an interesting topic of like that I think can broaden to other ideas. I don't know how much we want to keep going, but I'm good to keep. How long have we been going? Well, I think setting up and everything all in all, it's like an hour 10, but I don't oh, know if, okay. really talking that long. if we wanted to just, if you were going to start at the jujitsu part of the conversation, maybe less. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It, this, this is a question that I've been thinking about and I feel like you kind of touched on it of like, mm if you train people with and they have now they now have the potential to be dangerous mm -hmm. how do you manage or reconcile the how do you keep how do you keep people from doing bad things or using it for using it for evil or whatever like you know like if you teach someone jujitsu how do you know that they're not going to go out and start just jujitsuing everyone at walmart you know or jujitsuing their wife at home you know, and being abusive. Daniel. Or, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I will speak and say <laughs> that's not the case. If you teach someone how to shoot a gun to go hunting. Oh, I knew you were going to, I knew you were getting there. Uh, yeah. You were how, walking me there. How do we, how do we stop, you know, but you can do that with anything. Yeah. I, you know, like if you teach someone how to drive, how do you know they're not just going to go driving off into crowds and running people over? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's that's an interesting question of of like how do you how do we make sense of that? Well, so I don't it just reminds me of even the saying like knowledge is powerful and so is dynamite. Like both are dangerous unless handled wisely. So even it can be broadly genera generalized to just knowledge can be used true in the wrong way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we're going anywhere with this but that fits. That sounds like the peop, guns don't kill people, people kill people idea. Is that what you're kind of positing sort of thing? Uh, it seemed analogous to that. I think sure. you were just, that was just like a general comment of yeah. like. It yeah. was just a saying that I've heard of that like even, sure. So you're saying, okay, guns. You're saying, okay, cars. You're saying, okay, jujitsu. I'm saying like, yeah, even if we zoom out beyond that. Certain knowledge. Knowledge, knowledge can be can, dangerous. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Yeah. I so I sure. Exactly then, if you, you want to tie that to the guns kill people, not or people kill people, not guns kill people, like sure, whatever. Yeah, you but know, it's it's an interesting. Uh, uh, <laughs> all roads lead to gun reform. No, but it's an interesting. Um, so, yeah, and and we don't have to talk about that specific talking sure. topic. But it it yeah. What I'm trying to throw out here is this idea of like. Uh, people people have the capacity to cause harm mm -hmm. to be dangerous do like how do we how do we deal with that yeah no yeah i think the way i'm i'm thinking about framing this up and i'm curious to hear feedback from uh, everyone else it it feels like there's this you know a very obvious problem in society of the the means with which individuals have to harm others and the amount of harm that that mean would enable and then the proportional response from organized society to mitigate that 
harm in mm -hmm. some fashion. So, for example, kitchen knives. Anyone can buy a kitchen knife. Kitchen right. knives are fine. We all have them in our homes. We've all seen, you know, well, maybe we haven't all seen, but definitely in, in horror films or even thrillers, at some point when someone's going to defend oneself in their home, they tend to reach for the most gigantic, unrealistic butcher knife. Classic. Yeah, super wheel, like just very easy to handle. Classic you know, image. Classic image. Yeah. Um, nobody is advocating like we need to regulate kitchen knives sure. so hardcore because despite the fact that you could cause harm, it would be most likely to one person or maybe a couple, and it's pretty easy to mitigate and a little bit challenging probably to to do mass harm with. So we just don't regulate it that much. Mm -hmm. I feel like with cars, um, it is a weird thing that uh, you you could definitely do harm with a car, and people do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have, you need some training. Mm -hmm. Not anyone can just go and buy a car and immediately drive it. Right. Um, but I also don't think it's nearly as uh, intense as one would think. Like you're able to throw a two, four ton, you know, object at 80 miles an hour, <laughs> you know, at someone or something. That's kind of crazy. But yeah. it's interesting with, with martial arts or with guns or something. How do you do this? How do you guarantee that? Because I know, right, it's kind of a joke, but I think at some level, if you become too adept at, martial arts you do have to like register like i have advanced military training like if you ever see a crime where someone got murked in a specific way <laughs> i am on the list here's where i have i have something to add i think the major difference if we're we don't need to talk about guns in detail there may be some varying opinions among the group but They're in the background my my thought is the major difference between talking about jujitsu and the danger that one who has that training can wield and guns is exactly what we already talked about, which is to become good at jujitsu. You have to, like we said, be involved in a community that's teaching you to respect the capacity for danger that you wield. And is self-regulating. Exactly. And if you are not able to jive with that community, like you said, Daniel, you're going to get kicked out or at least face some social consequences yeah. for not respecting it. Whereas, as we know with guns, the regulation for being able to possess one is at the point where you're taking like a joke of an online course. Yes. Or, um, you know, you don't have to learn or be involved in a community that has learned to respect guns and gun culture. Um, and then you're able to have it. And there's no one out there, like in a gym community, kicking you out if you're not respecting it. Yeah, there's no gatekeeper. That's a really good distinction to make, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying that I'm sure there are some families groups of that course. do teach incredible respect for guns mm -hmm. and safety and all of that. But I would say largely, it's not regulated to the point that we can trust that even half the people that have guns have the know of the respect that you know if it you should had, have. If you had to go to a shooting range for 10 years before you were technically allowed to, to like just walk around with a gun, you know, I definitely think we'd have way less problems if like there was an instructor and they said, okay, we're going to start talking about just how a gun works. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to learn how to take care of a gun. Yeah. You're not going to shoot it. Right. You're a white belt. Yeah. Or you're even like, you're going to be opposed <laughs> white, to another white trigger person. Finger. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, in jujitsu, you're very much faced with another person's mortality. 
when you're rolling, I'm guessing you're face to face with them. Your arm is on their throat. Like you're looking in their eyes. It's intimate. The humanity of it. Whereas with gun culture, I would assume that you're often not put in those situations where you're forced to come face to face with another person's humanity in that kind of way to understand up close and personal the danger. Um, which might be another distinction. Another really interesting thing along those lines is like, so I've taken some classes about like gun self-protection and things like that. And I, I come back from those classes and yes, contrasting with jujitsu is very interesting because in jujitsu I am prac, I'm trying this regularly and I try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. I can go to a gun self-defense class and they can be like, this is how you draw it and this is how you aim and this is whatever and this and that. But do I ever get to try to practice doing the actual thing ever? Mm-hmm. And will I even be in a situation where I need to defend myself and actually try to shoot someone? Mm-hmm. You know, like assuming that's even within your moral purview. Mm-hmm. But like, like what are the odds of me even like even doing that is like extremely low. And so then it, I just had this weird thought of like, it's this, it's so strange that the experts, the experts who are teaching this class, like have maybe been in two gunfights as a cop, you know, or, or and a lot of them are like ex military and stuff like that. So maybe they've been, so maybe like the really, really good guys are like Navy SEALs. They've been like abroad. They've been in many gunfights and things like that. And so they like actually know some things and things like that. But, like, even that, like, you can count on, like, your fingers, like, how many times you've really been in that situation and, like, you know, and we really, and so I have something authoritative to say about it. And then, like, for me as, like, a trainee, like, I can be like, yeah, I've taken all these classes and I've, I've got all this information and I've talked to all these people, but have I ever even done the thing? Yeah. Like, have whereas, I even done it or tried it? Whereas, whereas in, in jujitsu, mm-hmm. I've tried it multiple times and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. And I've worked on this and like, okay, that didn't work that time. So I can try again. Like the, the aspect of pra- authentic practice yeah. mm-hmm. where I've actually tried this thing in a real life situation and I'm actually getting feedback. And because of that authentic practice, I can verify that I'm actually getting better and I'm actually mm-hmm. skilled at this. As opposed to in this gun defense situation, it's like I did a bunch of hypothetical practice and I had a bunch of people talk to me about this. And so I think I'm skilled and I think I'm prepared, but I've actually never been in a gunfight. Yeah. It's a very weird kind of thing. Yes, I like that point. And also like with jujitsu and I would guess other martial arts, you're faced not only with the physical preparation, but the mental and emotional preparation of like you feeling panicked. What do I do? It's deeply emotional. So not only are you foregoing in most situations where you might be learning to properly and respectfully wield a gun, not going through the physical preparation, you're definitely not going through the mental or emotional preparation. And then I can also say a lot of times the emotional preparation in a lot of gun situations is maybe counterproductive of like, oh, this is fun. Or like, wow, I just love like yeah. doing all this Good stuff point. and guns. And, you know, it's like it's almost it's reverse humbling. Mm. It makes you prideful of like, man, I'm so prepared and I just love shooting guns and with these people. And like, yes, there is camaraderie at those classes, too. And. I think the trainers are genuine and the people there are genuine and we really are like we're doing something that we really think is like meaningful and worthwhile. 
but yeah, there's this weird, like no one's getting humbled. No one's getting embarrassed. No one really has to deal with frustration Mm -hmm. in that kind of way. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, it's a different kind of process. It's a different even skill set because in that case, it sounds like you're practicing like how to shoot a gun effectively, how to aim at targets that are stationary, how to move while you're doing it. Yeah, because you know, if you're in a gunfight, you don't want to just be standing there. You want to be moving. So things like that. Yeah. But, you know, it sort of reminds me earlier of a conversation about Japanese jujitsu of how it's difficult to practice. Right. Because the chance of lethally injuring someone is much greater. Right. And it's a tricky thing uh, because how would you possibly reenact a scenario with guns? And, you know, and the other thing too, I feel like jujitsu seems a little bit more focused on, even if you are in a a conflict with somebody, finding ways to gain dominance Mm -hmm. so that you can kind of work things out and get them in a position where they are restrained and unable to harm. Right. Whereas in gun self-defense, and this is just my understanding, obviously I haven't done it, so I'm speaking from a point of ignorance, but um, it feels as though it's much more concerned with someone is invading your home. Sure. Someone is very much maliciously coming at you. Right. And this is sort of like what happens to them, you know, it's going to be sort of at their own fault, morally speaking, because they're aggressing you. They made the decision to come to my house at 3 a.m. Right. Is the supposed scenario. Is the supposed scenario. Right. And it's it's challenging because I, I think it'd be interesting if those classes were thinking of, you know, also looking at how can we maybe disarm or if that's even a possibility. And if not, you know, things like non-lethal targeting. I don't know if they do any of that, but are there areas of someone that you can shoot without likely killing someone? I just think... Yeah, I mean, I can tell you the answers to all... Yeah, because this comes up in these gun self-defense classes. Sure. Um, Short answer, yes. You always, always, always opt for non-violence and then non-lethality if you can. Mm-hmm. Like in these classes, like they say run away more often than you'd think. Like if you hear sh- if you're at Walmart and there's shots across the store, you're an idiot if you head over like I'm I happen to have a gun on me right now. I'm going to go over and salt. It's like you're an idiot. And yeah. there are videos on YouTube to prove of people who do that. They go and they they go and try to stop threat and then they don't realize that there's actually two shooters and then they just get, you know, it's like you run away. Mm-hmm. And then you disarm and you get out of there and whatever. And then like if you can talk them down, things like that. So that is a part of the escalation sure. spectrum. That makes sense. Um, and then also shooting someone in the leg, shooting someone in the arm is like nearly impossible. <laughs> that, um, that makes sense. You have to be hand, really good. A handgun is so hard to aim. And then especially under stress, it's like there's no in between. It's not going to happen. And then yeah. here's the other thing too, because I've taken a medical class related to this. If you shoot someone in the leg, their femoral arteries in there, mm. they're going to be dead in 30 seconds anyway. So you either need to shoot their hand so that you, <laughs> so that you wound them, but yeah. don't stop them. And then it's like, okay, good luck with that. You know, but like any kind of just like reasonable target you're going to hit is going to be quasi lethal. And then the other thing they also say is that a lot of times, if you've really gotten to a place where you're shooting someone, like if it's really that bad, a lot of these people are like beyond irate and probably high on something. And so if you were to shoot them in the arm, their body, their brain is not even going to register that they've been shot. And I just, I, I just have heard lots of stories of like when a cop, like, so these are ex cops, like when they've actually had to take someone down, like, 
they don't always respond to getting shot, even if they do get shot in the arm. And so this idea that you're going to like, well, I'll just shoot him in the arm, I'll shoot him in the leg, is just very impractical. It's, just, it's not an actual solution to anything. Yeah. So anyway, side note about that. Very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, my takeaway from this chat, I want to see some gun jujitsu places. <laughs> Both? Uh, not necessarily combined, but I it's, do think... It's, it's a thing, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see some places where it's like, no, 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 you're a white belt. Oh, Gunju. Oh, you mean the like... Yeah. Okay, you need to There's slow... There's a black yeah, belt yeah, yeah, master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got they it, have got incredible it. knowledge about guns, gun safety, uh, situational awareness, um, the respect, the yes. reverence, the understanding that how mighty and unbelievably powerful this item is not to be something that can just be casually kind of purchased like a kitchen knife. That's fair. I think there's actually a lot more training people and places like that than you might think. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Because I've been to some of them. Um, But I do agree, though, that that is contrasted with the narrative and the image that gun culture has in our our culture, broader culture. Can I suggest that... If this place exists, we call it Gun Fu. Oh, baby. Let's workshop right now live. Like Gung Fu. Gung Fu. Um, American, American Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> there's no striking, there's no grappling. It's only guns. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We've like limited it. ourselves to not even using our bodies. The only thing you get is a finger. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, that, that probably is something someone says. American Jiu Jitsu? Oh, that's just guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think American jiu-jitsu might already be a thing, but I don't know what defines that. But I feel like I've heard that before. Oh. Well, I've learned a lot. Yeah. I. What a journey. This was a good conversation. Yes. Can I? Sorry, I have something on my chest. Yeah. Oh, so, my gosh. So get it off. Bring it back out. Bring it back out. So about gun jiu-jitsu, about the potential for being dangerous. Mm-hmm. I've I've listened to people talk about this. And one thing that I think is also really interesting is I think... And as a broader strategy, rather than taking away people's ability to be dangerous, I think we it's important to have a culture and um, I don't know an ethos of how do we integrate these tendencies? So anger, frustration, whatever. How do we how do we train people? So maybe like a parent with their kid. How do I train my kids to integrate those emotions? with Mm self-control and integrate that with there's a time and a place and a purpose for these human tendencies and integrate that with a broader sense of wisdom and how we live our lives and a a worldview that has a place for those and as opposed to demonizing them and saying we never, never aggressive, never angry. Those are all bad because those lead, you know, they lead to the dark side and they lead to you harming was saying like, no, there's a place for aggression. There's a place for anger. And we're going to actively talk about with me as the mass, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And you as the white belt, like how do, how do I integrate that into a broader sense of being that then puts you in a place where you have self-control. Right. Yeah. There's definitely to, to apply it in a way Mm -hmm. that actually is uh, wholesome. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Effective certainly important i think that's also important as opposed to just 
no, no martial arts, no guns, no fighting, no boxing, no aggression, no anger. Like just instead of, I think, cause I think there are pockets of culture or maybe people in our culture that kind of have that disposition of like all of that, you know, and that, you know, we'll just call it toxic masculinity, that kind of thing. Like, I think there's a, there's a sentiment of like, we just want to demonize all of that kind of as a blanket thing. And I think that is one extreme that is unhealthy and ultimately untenable. There's no way to completely avoid anger and aggression yeah. in one's personal life. Yeah. So there must be some way of letting it out in a way that isn't harmful to you or other people around you. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean it'll it'll sublimate. You'll you'll take it out in a different way if you don't process it. Right. So I, I totally agree. I mean I, I I definitely feel like uh if I had black belt jujitsu people walking around with guns i'd be like okay i, I kind of trust you to to handle that in a intelligent you know uh, right yeah human humanistic way so yeah very interesting i, know, I just want to throw out that other idea of how do we how do we integrate this into like a whole person that knows how to control themselves as opposed to just like trying to get rid of that kind of thing yeah and it's interesting right because kind of like with fiscal policy or something, the mm-hmm. levers that one has when one is operating from a central government of some kind to enact change on the populace, a lot of them are not that fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to, hey, everybody, you got to become a black belt. And if you have kids, you got to find a way to be able to communicate this awesome philosophy. Like, you know, which I think is why we sometimes devolve into, well, let's just legislate to take them all away. Because we can't find a we can't find a holistic way to make sure the entire population, you know, gets this kind of training. Right, and that I think that's two major paradigms of like, okay, we have a problem in our culture. How do we solve it? I think broadly, it's like, do we legislate mm-hmm. to solve the problem, or do we change culture? Well, and that's and the other like, thing. Ugh. It's like legislating. That's a concrete thing I can do, and it's easy, and it's easier. Yeah, but changing culture. I wish I had a concrete way of just beep, bop, boop, boop. Right. But yeah, you know, I'm yeah, but I'm just finding with like a lot of these cultural, like drug problems and like Mm -hmm. pornography in our culture and gun violence and just like any, like name any like cultural problem we have. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm finding myself more in the like, yeah, I think legislation can help and there's a place for that. And we definitely need like politicians and leaders who are, who believe good things and do the right things and all of that. But more and more, I'm like, somehow our culture needs to change. Like individual people need to have beliefs where they comport themselves in a way that doesn't cause the problem in the first place. That would be ideal. Yeah. And, but what do you do when you're faced with a less than ideal situation? That's been hundreds of years in the making. Mm. I think in terms of, once again, I keep being like, I'm not going to talk about guns specifically. And here I am again. I, think with guns Mm -hmm. in particular if there's not a way to make it safe i understand the the crazy on the other end of the spectrum paradigm idea that we need to get rid of them just get rid of them yeah because if they can't be used safely and they haven't been used safely well okay i understand from like a large thought perspective like government looking at the statistics and how many children are dying Mm -hmm. yeah i understand that because well well, goodness, we can't trust people to try to comport themselves sure. with the right mm-hmm. in, or try to learn 
you know, or teach their children how to have a better culture surrounding the cultures. I don't know how, like you said, so hard to control and like, especially gun culture seems out of control in our country of like the way that it's already being talked about. How do we in a large way even go about trying to change that without legislation? I don't know. And it'd be totally fair, you know, just from my corner of things, my perspective, I'm also down if we want to, enact a little stricter uh, uh, mindset training on individuals with cars. Because <laughs> I think the amount of people who die from getting hit by a car, it's just too much. I was going to bring that up earlier. Like half the headlines in my local news app is like car wreck on the highway, car wreck on the highway, car wreck on the highway. And so we're so numb to it. To both, to gun violence mm-hmm. and to car violence. And it's it's just not well, excusable. Well, so there's car violence, but then there's just car incompetence of just like people wrecking and stuff like that. I mean, that. but incompetence with guns is also a big piece of it, I would say. It can be, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know the numbers, but I would I would venture to guess that malicious gun violence probably does not outweigh gun incompetence in terms of deaths. The number one reason people die from guns is suicide. Which would be gun competence, but not... It's almost its its own third category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, versus... And then I, I think the biggest, the biggest type of gun killing is gang stuff. Mm. So, like, mm-hmm. when, when you talk about shootings and mass shootings and things like that, a lot of what those actually are is inner city gangs shooting each other. Across mm. the, and kids like 14 year old gang kids just shooting each other and stuff like that and you do hear That's a lot the, of like accident stories of oh, yes. was it stored properly hunting cleaning a gun blah 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 yeah yeah that happens i think if i understand correctly i think that is exceedingly rare relative to the other types of ways people get shot but regardless of exactly why i think it's still a problem. It's still a problem. And that's the interesting thing, right? I think I think a lot of times when we have these conversations in the culture at large, mm-hmm. it's definitely not that people have differing viewpoints of what the end goal is. Everyone would hope that guns could exist because they are a necessary tool for defending oneself in the world at large, unfortunately. Yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah. Guns and nukes, I guess. And then <laughs> <Right>. yep. <laughs> uh, and boats and drones. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so we're, there's no there's no version of things where the cat's getting back in the bag. You know, we're we're going to vacuum Pandora with the Ghostbusters and stuff them back in a box like that's done with. So now that guns are around, I think everyone's like, yeah, we need to find a healthy way to that guns exist and humans exist. Sure. And that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, this idea of like what are the major levers legislation and, you know, these things might not be mutually exclusive. I think the best thing would be a combination of some sort. Mm-hmm. But um, uh culture change in legislation i think both would have to work yes and i think i mean in the real world of course it's both yeah um i think i think the more interesting question is like which one is more important maybe or Hmm. maybe which one do we need to focus on now i don't know which one is more urgent and it's interesting i don't know i 100 percent or which one do we need a little bit more legislation and a lot of culture change or do we need a little bit of culture change and a lot of legislation? Like how far are we from the ideal in both of those realms is another question. Well, and I just think like I a hundred percent agree that I would love if we lived in a culture where all these things were just implicit. We don't need to do. I mean, if, if people act well in a classroom, you can give them more freedom. 
if kids are, yeah. are handling the, great, great the toys appropriately, yep. then yeah, you don't need to. Ma- but as soon as someone breaks it for one person, you need to you know do this for everybody. So if there was a way to wave a wand and just make the culture better, I would be fine to just take away all the gun legislation. Yeah. I would be like, yeah, anyone can buy a gun. Sounds great. Right. We all understand how this thing works. But the thing is, we apparently don't because yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of people who seem to have missed that. Yeah. So it's yeah. tricky. I think. And, yeah. and how do you even go about changing that on a macro level? I think it's by conversations and people having YouTube channels and people having podcasts and people talking about it over coffee and what the news people talk about. Like a um, grassroots thing. Yeah, because that's what culture is. Mm-hmm. Like culture is just all the people. And so if you want to change culture, it's all the people changing. And I think honestly, fundamentally, it starts with changing yourself mm-hmm. um, and be and and realizing like, oh, where am I? Where do I have problems that are maybe related to whatever issue? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people have addiction problems and there's drugs everywhere. It's like, okay, well, are you addicted to your phone? Like, are you living a lifestyle? Are you living, you know, or this and that? I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to spitball and make things up. But like starting with yourself it, in whatever way it pertains to whatever macro topic you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think we skip the part where it's like, oh, where can I be a better person? Cause I'm yeah. part of the culture. When you sure. brought up like the dichotomy between legislative change versus cultural change, the first thing I thought of was, well, let's just bring it down to a personal level. Mm. And if I don't have personal control over legislation i mean i can vote but other than that i think the obvious answer then becomes well what can i do with just myself yeah encouraging that jujitsu mindset Ooh, i like that i think what we're i think you know i mean we happen to be sitting here with microphones and we're on a podcast so hopefully oh, yeah. people listen to this <laughs> but maybe like, we're changing culture we could Ooh. But we're changing each other right now. Mm-hmm. I think maybe a little bit, or maybe we're not. We're having a conversation <laughs> that has the potential to change each other. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So For like sure. that's where it starts is like talking to your friends and talking to your family. And like, can we have a productive conversation where this little speck of culture in this living room right now can mm-hmm. grow and develop? Or are we just going to be jerks and start yelling and just move on? Like, like we do have influence on culture. It's microscopic. But I think to skip that part and be like, well, let's just talk about the whole country, I think is um, misguided. I don't know. And I, and I hear that. And I think the thing that makes this conversation so hard at this point in the United States particularly is because we are at a crisis point. Yeah. And we've been at a crisis point for a few decades now. Sure. And it has become so charged of we need a solution today. We need a solution yesterday. We need a way to just end it. Whatever that solution is, I think everybody's all for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has one. That's like, I can prove it. I've done the research. It will 100% work. So I think when that comes out, I mean, yeah. that's what we're all secretly hoping for. I think that's true. I also would maybe throw out the idea of like, I don't know if there are many solutions to any problems that work like that so carly they said something like a problem years and years decades hundreds of years in the making i think if you dig yourself a hole that deep you then take that long to get out maybe i completely agree i mean i this is a random as (laughs) random tangent disheartening as that might sound no hey i hear you and i think that's what's driving people so nuts and that's why there are these 
what we'd consider relatively extreme positions. Yeah. Because people are like, I just can't take it. How do we snap out of this? Yeah, I mean, this is just so mm-hmm. unconscionable. Like, yeah. we live in a society with X amount of resources, and you're telling me we can't figure this out? Yeah. Like, we've solved a lot of challenging problems. Yeah. And we haven't figured this out? Yeah. I have been thinking about this a lot lately in relation to so many different situations. I won't name any particular ones, but we talk a lot in medicine and education, every sector, about best practice. Mm-hmm. And... Great. Best practice. Well, what do you do when a kid comes to you, a patient comes to you, and they they haven't been receiving best practice since day one? You mm. know, like suddenly best practice might not actually be best practice anymore. Um, and I, I think because that's kind of... Just to add on to that, because the effort to get someone from where they are to technically meeting best practice standards would be so excruciatingly intense... That it's or just it's not, not worth even the possible anymore. Or it's not possible. And a different, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the I, concept of best practice and what that even means has to change. Yeah, that's a good. I heard someone talking. Talking about culture broadly, the, yeah, it's cool. I heard someone else talking about that. What I was listening to, where he was saying like, yes, best practice is eat three meals a day and drink water, but if someone has a flu and you just give them time for dinner, shove a bunch of food down, they're gonna throw it up. Like mm-hmm. if someone is sick or something is wrong, best practice, quote unquote, kind of changes mm-hmm. to match where they are in that situation. Yeah. yeah. So we can't slap a best practice situation on to, for example, the problem of gun violence in America because we are in a cesspool of hundreds of years in the making that is way too complicated to parse out each individual thing and have a easy solution. And I think that that's just kind of a, you know, it's it's actually kind of stunning that we've done anything collectively as a nation because we're so different. Each state's so different. Inside of each state, there's different coalitions of individuals with their own needs and their own experiences. It, yeah. it boggles the mind that I, I find it bizarre that we even still have a central government that we're all <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> we will follow what you say. We're still at least nominally United States. <laughs> it boggles as different my as mind. We are. Maybe more in name than practice, but yes, we like still it's, are. It's crazy. Yes. Like the vast majority of people still pay their taxes. You know, uh, we still generally, you know, recognize each state's driver's licenses and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we still know. submit to the police of different different states. Sure. You know. Yeah. It's crazy. I also heard it. I was listening to a podcast this week, and someone's and this guy was saying that humans are way better at adapting than mitigating. Mm. Oh, that sounds real. Yeah. And so he's like, we're terrible at being like, all right, culture, we've got this problem. If we made this small change in 30 years, well, (laughs) it'll be, it won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. That never, he's like, no, what actually happens is we just go down, we do whatever we want. You know, we mess things up and it's like, well, crap, how do we like adapt to this screw up that we've just caused? And then we adapt and then like, we kind of just move on. I I I think that's a better, yeah. I feel like that happened exactly with the ozone layer. You know, it's like a famous science success story that we blew a hole in the ozone layer. And, uh, at the crisis point, once the hole had already been opened and we were like, this is going to be terrible. Was it over, over like Australia? It might have been Australia. It might have also been Antarctica. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, long story short, scientists were saying many, many years into the making of this, hey, if we just do this small change, hey, hey, guys, government, hey, yo, yeah. if we make this small change. And the politicians were like, wait, though, 
Can I brag about it? Can I brag about it at my next election? No? Darn. Well, GG. Yeah. <laughs> and then it became a nightmare. And then, But then we did get together. So yeah. maybe that's just what we got to do. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I like the phrase, um, you get better the way you got sick. And so, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a hundred pounds overweight, I'm like, there's not just like, how do we fix this now? It's like, okay, it took you that long to get that overweight. Yeah. Dude, our culture is so obsessed with instant it's gratification. It's going to take you that long to get into mm-hmm. shape. If you're addicted to cocaine, you don't just like quit. It's like, no, we need to like address the the chemical issue that you've got in your body. We need to address the emotional issues that maybe led you to this addiction in the first place. We need to address the social issues that are maybe feeding into this. Like you work, you get healthy the way you got sick. Mm. And so I think, I, I think right now where I am that that applies broadly too. like, if our culture is sick in some way that we get better potentially as slowly as we got sick. Maybe a little faster, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we can hope. But but I don't I don't think it's like an election cycle uh, time frame of like how can we fix this in no. four years with the next president or like how can we just get these few Congress people in and like get this fixed in six years? I don't I don't think solutions are actually that that quick. I they, agree. They sometimes are, but I I will agree with you, and that's one of the reasons why I think we struggle. Because it doesn't fit into an election cycle. The problems that right. do come up in an election cycle are great because politicians can brag about it. And so it's awesome. And so, yeah, they want to be the ones who get to put their name and say, like, no, we fixed that. Sure. But because, because they have to get reelected. They have yes. to have something to convince everyone that you should vote for me. Yeah. And it's not that great of an argument to say, hey, we met with some really intelligent people voters. And they said the decisions that we made today will help you out in 30 years. Get hyped. Yeah. You will m- probably not be alive. This is for your kids. <laughs> Woohoo, vote your, for me. Your life's not going to actually be any different. And honestly, we <laughs> won't know until 30 years from now. Yeah. So everything could be made up. <laughs> it's just not as convincing as like, we removed lead from gas. Isn't that crazy? We used to put lead in, and now we got it out. Look at it's that. It's done. It's fixed. It's we, fixed. We fixed it, everybody. We fixed it, everybody. Yeah. Welcome. Mm. What do you think, Shalene? I think there's a whole moral component here that's really hard for me to just like dance around. What's that? Just the whole like, okay, so to have unity in anything, there has to be some level of like unity in a worldview of how you even approach it or like what is wrong? Why is that wrong? And then how do you deal with it? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a million views on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that just makes it really hard. And so then for me, I know my bias is like, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, man, yeah, this is messed up because we're humans and we're messed up. And so no matter what level of discussion happens, like it's going to be messed up. You know what I mean? Like because I just of, wrestle. Because of the moral shortcomings. Yes. In yeah. People. Because of the moral shortcomings of humanity. Mm-hmm. And unless we acknowledge that, like, what are we doing? Which can then just sound like the like ignorant Christian standing off to the side being like, everyone needs Jesus, but everyone does need Jesus. And so. so then how does that enter into the political realm? And Daniel's much better at actually like, searching out that question Mm -hmm. and like philosophizing about that question. 
Yeah. But <laughs> it's just a big thing that I don't really. Yeah, that's just it's. Mm-hmm. And I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of along the lines of like, okay, culture change. If we all were unified under a single religious code, then that would unify us in a lot of ways that would make this conversation simpler you're saying sure but even i recognize that's not the world we live in even theocracy according right right, well (laughs) even according to the bible and like literally the gospel is that jesus came and saved the mess but it's still a mess like he brought his kingdom here and now but Uh it's still a mess okay and the hope is that like he's returning eventually da 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 so really it's more the question of like so then what do we do as his followers in this broken mess? And what does that look like? And then so that what does that look like in our families? What does that look like in our communities? What does that look like in our governments? And I'm standing here going, I don't, really know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So. I also think, I mean, along those lines, I think there's many different belief systems. Yeah secular religious worldviews let's say more inclusive worldviews that probably would get us to the point of if everyone had one of these list of things guiding them that there's enough crossover because it's not mutually exclusive right to be like don't don't hurt Shoot people. someone yeah that's bad there's many belief right. systems that are like let's not hurt people <laughs> fair enough because it's a pretty popular idea because you know fun fact people don't like getting hurt yeah, but fun most, fact, most so many people still hurt people. Yeah. Yes. So that's what's insane is we have this like moral consensus that it's wrong uh-huh. and yet. And also in relation to like feeling like that Christian who stands off to the side and saying everyone needs Jesus. A lot of people who are followers of Jesus hurt a lot of people. Yeah. That's so true. is that even like the ultimate solution when, mm. you know, it's, it, maybe it's even something deeper. Like, I don't know. The, I'm, I'm learning a lot about the Catholic Church and mm. the recent findings from the state of Illinois and mm-hmm. all of the abuse that has gone down in the Catholic mm. Church in Illinois, just thousands and thousands of boys. Mm. And I think, okay, well, then even standing off to the side and saying, like, we all need Jesus, while true. People in the church need People Jesus. People in the church yeah. are still yeah, need a deeper relationship deeply with Jesus. involved in hurting others, mm. um, which makes the situation even more complicated and it's also it's also i'll add this as well interesting because some of the things that we're talking about uh on the fourth of july which now feels somewhat apt we found our ways to the most american thing possible (laughs) (laughs) political discourse um (laughs) but uh as so many people are wont to point out the rest of the world a lot of elements of the rest of the world are having problems similar but they are not having it to the same extent. They're not having it to the same extent. And so there's, to your point, there's something about America. There's something about us that is deeply broken that we need to examine internally. Potentially. I would maybe push back on that a little bit. Um, I think the around the world people, I think, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about guns or drugs or just people hurting people that, yeah. Like if you go to, if you go to Venezuela, Uh if you go to Mexico, if you go to Brazil, there are people like 
shooting and kidnapping and killing and I guess thinking about America as being a developed country. You got to control yeah. for some covariates here. Yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting we compare a gigantic, you know, what, 360 million, you know, people country with yeah. X amount of median income to another country with so many people and X amount of median income. I mean, I completely understand that. But they're dealing with different problems. I don't know how intense our I don't know. Yeah. That's a that's a good point though. It's not like uh, other countries have it perfectly figured out. Yeah. But I just mean the specific type of mass shooting violence that we seem to experience in the United States is a little bit uniquely American in its intensity. Yeah, with the gun thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels yeah. like an ever-present thing, you know, especially for people our age. We've sort of watched it as it sort of exploded. Mm-hmm. Personally, you know. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I feel like when we were in elementary school, I do not remember an active shooter drill. Maybe it's because I was in elementary school. Oh, yeah, no. But I that is very common now. Yeah. And that's interesting. Well, because when was the Columbine High School? That was the first big one I remember hearing about. I believe about. it was in 2001. But yeah, we can so that would have been... We are four. I'm four. Yeah, I went to kindergarten. Potentially in, in the 90s. 93. Potentially 99. But even then, that 99. was, that was shocking at the time. Exactly. That was absolutely shocking. Today, that would be so normal. Well, there's yeah. been many others since then that are equal in size. Yeah. And yeah. Five. But I was yeah. just trying to give a time frame of like, yeah. that's the earliest in my memory. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was the Columbine shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The school shooting thing specifically, yeah, is like... Uniquely American. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I guess that, I guess for me, that is the thing that drives the conversation. Mm. I, and it, which is sad, right? Because that's the thing that's more just publicity... I think probably on numbers, gun violence, like you were saying, is maybe more contributed by groups of individuals who have guns fighting others, individuals with guns. In very small geographic places. Sure. And, and that, that is my the case. Is my understanding. I mean, I'm not a st- yeah. statistician. I haven't done my own research. This is just what just I've... What I've managed to glean from all these anecdotal. sources. Yeah, we're all speaking anecdotally here. Yeah. None of us... I mean, this, we're just hanging out. But... Um, but the thing that, that bothers me so much more is the thing with, like, genuinely, you know, parents who we talk to now who are, have young ones at school that are like, it freaks me out. I will mm. admit, I think about it every day. Mm. Like, there's no way you can't. And that's something yeah. that I don't know 20, 30 years ago, you know, people worried about serial killers and kidnappings a lot more than this, mm-hmm. which also was terrible. <laughs> but, but, like, why, America? Why are we? Why, what's up with us? What's going on? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to end on this 4th of July. Why, America? Why? Why? Why do we got so many good things like tasty hot dogs that oh are boy. filled with questionable meats and yet and also... cheddar cheese and jalapenos. And cheddar Ooh. cheese and... Oh, man, we have so many good fillings. We know how to pack good, yummy <laughs> fat into meat objects. <laughs> Tell me why, though. Is it that a cheddar jalapeno brat sounds so much better than a cheddar jalapeno hot dog? I don't know. Do you I have some German ancestry? I, I do. Oh, well, <laughs> nailed it. Speaking of which, if we do want to frequent the fairway, we are we running out go. of time. Yeah. All right. This is a perfect time to introduce our sponsor for today's episode, Fairway Meats and Grocery. Uh, we have one right by our house. Carly and I just swear by it. You know, you get the convenience of a high V with the prices of an Aldi. Can't go wrong. 
That was beautiful. Grant, if we ever do have sponsors. Click on, click on the link up. in the show notes to uh, <laughs> start your subscription to Fairway. What was it? Meat and Deli. Meats and Grocery. Meats and Grocery. Yep. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. We can't lie mm. to our mm. listeners. Mm. We can't lie. I can't hold it back from you guys. You know me. I'm always shooting straight. I'm on here every single time. I'm a very uh, critical aspect of this cast. <laughs> So this is all normal and regular, and the rest of the people on here are not staring at me with googly eyes. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cool. Outside time. Good talk, everybody. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.